All right. Well, good morning, church. I think um, myself included, we're all in a bit shock this morning. Winter has arrived. Um, now, uh, if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, a very special welcome to you. It's a great joy to have you here with us uh, this morning. Excuse me while I get rid of some of my paperwork. Make sure it's in some sort of order. Um, so, uh, I confess to you this morning, my heart's a bit heavy. Uh, partly because um, I've been meditating personally, um, as I'm sure you guys as well, as particularly this passage. Uh, the passage is a, it's not a heavy passage in the sense that it, it, it's to cause us to think through a few things. Uh, so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could t- turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 is where we're going to be spending our time in. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Here is God's word. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray now that as we meditate on this as a community, that your spirit will be speaking to us. That you reveal to us what's on your heart this morning as a church. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord Jesus, by your grace, through the power of your spirit. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> if you're visiting Canberra Gardens, once again, a very special welcome to you. It's a great joy to have you here with us. Uh, this morning is going to be quite unique in that you get to um, see whether if we as a church match up to these words that we're about to meditate on this, this morning. If you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, if you want to know what, what uh, is a good church, what is a healthy church... Well, you need to have a look at these words that we're going to be meditating on and ask the question, the church or the Christian faith you're exploring, do they um, agree with the church that you're exploring and seeing? Do they connect with these words that are in front of us? If you're new to Canterbury Gardens Community Church and maybe you're looking for a church home, uh, these words in front of us this morning uh, are there for you to ask, do you see these markers in us as a church community? And for those of us who call Canterbury home, this morning these words are in front of us to ask, how are we going? And we think about us as a church, us as a community, us as a family. For the last three chapters, as Nathan walked through those posters for us, we've been exploring what God has done. For those who believe in the gospel, who those who believe in Christ. Paul is exploring and unpacking and saying to the Ephesian church, this is what God has done for you. He's given you spiritual blessings. He's given you grace upon grace. They have a position that's secure. 
because of their relationship with Jesus. This is nothing that they've done. They can't achieve it on their own strength. It's all by grace. But now they have this language of being one, united in Christ. The gospel that was once mysterious and you didn't know who, who it's for, now it's been revealed. It's been revealed both to Jews and Gentiles. They're one family and it's all of God's work. It is the Lord God who does the work. It's the Lord God who continues to do the work. And He will do it. Now what we're going to see over the next few chapters, it's kind of like the rubber hitting the road. It's like what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, well, I've just explained to you this is what God has done. Well, if this is true, then it should be displayed in your life. It's like saying your belief in Christ, in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, should equal your life. Every day. Not just on Sundays. Not just during small group. Not just when you're hanging out with Christian friends. Every day, every moment. And what Paul does is, to unpack what that actually looks like, he begins by setting a bunch of instructions. These things you need to do. He starts by addressing the community that is in the church of Ephesus. He wants them to consider what a humble community looks like. In verses 1 to 3. What a humble community looks like. And based on that, what this community will build around. What are the things that this community will build around? What will it build its unity around? Verses 3 to 6. So in verses 1 to 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the worthy, calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So Paul begins and says, hey, if you want to know what a humble community looks like, you want to see the markers, here they are. Here they are in front of you. If you're an Aussie cricket fan, it's been a quite a bit of an adventurous and uh, challenging time for the Australian cricket team. You would have seen uh, the ball tampering incident, you would have seen uh, the, uh, the press uh, conferences, you would have seen the many tears. What I found interesting, though, was the comments that particularly the captain of the Australian team, or the former captain of the Australian team, Stephen Smith, said. He's at the uh, Sydney airport. He's giving the, uh, conf- uh, the press conference. And he says this to everyone, to all my teammates, to fans of cricket, all over the world, and all Australians who are disappointed and angry, I'm sorry. He did a very good job in apologizing for his actions. But what was interesting is when he says, I've been so privileged and honored to represent my country and captain the Australian cricket team. Cricket is the greatest game in the world, arguably. It's been my life and hope it can be again. See, in that moment, what Stephen Smith is saying is, he is now representing Australia. When he puts on the baggy green, he's not Stephen Smith. He's the captain of the Australian team. He represents all of Australia, in some sense, through this game. And not only that... He is representing a 
particular team that represents and they have uh, ethos and they have uh, ways and things and systems that they've set up to say this is who they are. And in his actions or saying was okay and letting it allow, it's going against that. It does not connect. So he's apologizing for his actions. Now that's in a secular world. What about in the Christian world? Last week we had this wonderful baptism service. It was a great joy to see uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, do that step of uh, obedience, get baptized. It was great. Uh, It was wonderful. But we also um, were able to use a spa. And the spa that we use for our baptism is someone that we've been connecting with over the last few years as a church family. Uh, And every time he comes, uh, we get to have wonderful conversations with him. And each time he's getting closer to exploring what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And this time was no different. So we were talking about a bunch of things that's going on in his life, the guy who owns this company. And I asked him, hey, how are things going on at work? Uh, He's a truck driver. He's going, oh, Shabu, it's been a really challenging time. I said, oh, yeah, why is that? Oh, you know, my boss is not paying me on time. I don't think I'm getting the right pay rate. And I'm thinking in my head, well, you know, every boss is in trouble. You know, that's, that's, that's what happens usually for an employee. The boss always annoys you in some sense. And in that moment, he turns around and says, but you know what doesn't make sense? I said, what's that, man? He goes, you're a Christian, right? I'm like, yeah, pretty sure. He says to me, my boss says that he's a Christian. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It doesn't compute. His belief doesn't add up from Monday to Saturday. It's not right, is what he told me. In the verses that we have in front of us, Paul is urging this church that he loves deeply, that their whole life, everything about their life or their walk, should equal exactly what they believe, who they are. And what, because of what Christ has done. And that is displayed in the way that they relate with each other as a church community, as a church fellowship. It means that if you are going to be a humble community, this is what it looks like to be a humble community. You walk, firstly. You don't run. You walk in humility, And I love what Paul does because if you want to kind of set a foundation on what a humble community looks like, you begin here. You can't jump to the other ones. If you don't have humility, these other things are going to be very hard to do. So he says that you you need to have humility. begins right here. It's this deep sense that actually you don't think you're any better than anyone else in your church community. And the language is so strong. It says it's a deep sense of littleness. And if that is being built on, it will flow on. And he's saying you need to be a community that is gentle, that you have a disposition that's meek, that you're constantly patient with each other. Some of your translations might say forbearing, like you're carrying and encouraging and you're walking alongside. Uh, It's almost like a spiritual version of putting up with each other in a good way. But it's all bearing with, not just sort of for the sake of bearing, it's driven out of love. It's driven out of love. And did you see the verses that said, make every effort. 
This is like the language to say you work at it hard, you do everything that you can to maintain this unity. The unity of the Spirit. It's talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in this. It's not a self-will, let's try really harder. It is through the power of the Spirit. He is the one that bonds it together, bonds of peace. That peace or that language is talking about the peace that has been given. In summary, the verses from chapters 1 to 3 talks about this peace that has been given to them. The gift of salvation. He's saying to the church, if this is true of you, if the peace of salvation has come into your life, that means it should be displayed in your community. It begins with humility. Saying church, a humble community is a community that is gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, and they will do whatever they can to be united in the bond of peace. Church, these verses are in front of us, in a sense, to put the mirror in front of us as a church community. This is true of us as a church family. Because if we believe in all the chapters that we just read from chapters 1 to 3, that should be displayed in every aspect of our church life. This is displayed in the way that we engage and interact with each other. That means there is no room to think that we're better than anyone else in this church family. There's no room for us to look down on each other. There's no room for us to kind of roll our eyes. Or even consider the things like, at least I'm not like so-and-so. There's no room for us to be so quick to point out the shortfallings of others without looking at our own hearts first. That when we encourage and, and share about our struggles, or as people share, we can't come with pride, but in humility we speak in gentleness, not with impatience. Over the sense of, oh, I wish they could get it. Why don't they get it? It seems like they've dropped the ball again. The language here is to say we don't just bear with one another for the sake of doing it till either Jesus calls us home or till he returns. No, we do it in love. That means there is no room in some sense, and this happens in any church, not just us. And I hope it hasn't happened here. But I know in the churches that I've grown up in where you hear terms like this, oh, I wish those young people would look after this church building. They keep on wrecking everything. But most of those people who are sharing those things, if you talk to them about their youth days, there's a lot of OH&S situations that would be a problem. <laughs> what about us young people? I'll put myself in there at the moment because I'm not 40 yet. <laughs> we'll say, ah. Oh, I wish there's older people. Man, what's wrong with them? Why are they always grumpy? Why can't they just let us do what we want to do? Young people, we will be old one day. And we too will be grumpy, maybe, to those young people. <laughs> I don't know if this happens here, but I know I've heard it at times. Man, I wish they would sing more hymns. Oh, I wish they would sing more modern songs, more drums. Maybe a DJ up here. That's not going to happen, by the way. Um, 
We have three services, a 9 a.m., 10.30, and once a month service. Maybe we sometimes think, oh, you know, at least when I like that service or this service, I wish we were doing this more. There's no room for that. Church, this is kind of this language to kind of uh, ask us some tough questions. Maybe we look at our other ministries that are running and we kind of think to ourselves, if I was the leader of that ministry, I would do X. Oh, have you heard what they're doing with this ministry? Oh, that's a bad decision. They shouldn't do that. I don't know if you guys think that because I've got confession to you. I have done that. And I am guilty as charged. You know why? There was a man by the name of Keith Glasgow. He was effectively the senior pastor of this church for many years. And I remember sitting around somewhere around there and moments when Keith would be preaching, I'd be sitting there looking at my Bible and going, oh, you know, I wouldn't preach it that way. Oh, you know, uh, I was working for a power church organization. Oh, this, this, these churches, they don't get anything. They need to do this and X and this and this. If I was the pastor of this church, this is what I will do. And God, in a sense of humor, calls me to this role with other brothers in Christ. And I've had to repent this week because there's been quite a bit of arrogance often with me. Do we, in moments of discussion, we're talking about the church and how church is going, are we committed to maintaining the unity that is committed through the help of the Holy Spirit, the one who is the bond, the one who glues it together? We do what we can to keep the peace. That peace is not just sort of very, very peace is the language, is the salvation that has been provided for us. See, Jesus has given you and I peace. So that means we endeavor to do all that we can to be at peace with each other. Or do we fall in the trap where they're meaning to unintentionally or unintentionally promoting disunity? So the church that Paul is writing to is a diverse church. If he was particularly writing to Ephesus or it was a letter that went around the tracks of all the different churches, there's a variety of people in these churches. Different socioeconomic backgrounds, definitely ethnic backgrounds, religious upbringings, but they knew that they are one in Christ. That's what Paul keeps on saying to them. And even if there are differences, because that happens in any church, they were more eager to maintain or work at the unity of the Spirit the bond of peace. And just there is the same for us. We all have our preferences. We all have our opinions. They're all fine. They're all good things. But it cannot cause disunity. Because when those moments happen, we are actually saying we're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called as not just individuals, but as a community. Church of Humble Communities marked by how we interact with one another. That means there's a sense of grace and humility. That means because of the grace of God that has been shown to them through Christ, they desire or we desire to live all in humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. And eager and wanting and desiring to keep the bond of peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this moment, uh, there's a few places that we could go. 
Uh, for some of us, when we look at the mirror, when I'm making these comments, some of us are prone to be defensive. I know I am. For some of us, we may be apathetic. What's the big deal? Or some of us, particularly those of us who do lists, we're feeling a bit overwhelmed. But see, this is what the wonderful thing about the gospel and the way that Paul writes is. There's grace right there in those pages. See, when he says there's a humble community, they must do this. So it's not an option. They are expected to do this as followers of Jesus. There's someone that is gluing it together, the glue, that peace, that gospel. This gospel is what unites them. And there's someone right there, the bond of peace through the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the one who enables them and he is the one who will enable us. It is the Holy Spirit who helps us. See, the true humility, true Christ-honoring, God-glorifying humility is a product of the Spirit's work in our lives. He is the one who enables us to be truly gentle. He's the one who enables and empowers us to be truly patient. He's the one who truly enables us to bear with one another. This is a sense of fruit of the Spirit, is that it's our responsibility in those moments, not like kind of just you know, let God do it. No, it's a, 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 an image of surrender. It's an image of dependence. It's an image of asking for help. So for those of us who may be feeling defensive, which I hope not, maybe this is simply ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. Is there anything going on in your life or in the church's life that you're struggling with that speaks against what the passages say here? Ask him to reveal that to you. And if you're someone who's prone to be apathetic, you're thinking, well, what's the big deal, friends? Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you call Canterbury home, God's call on you and me is to live a life worthy of the calling that he's given you. So you cannot be apathetic. God calls you to be involved Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And if you are someone who is prone to feel overwhelmed and you've got a grading system and you've got a chart now with you and this list, remember it is the one who dwells in you. The one who will give you that strength, the one who is the bond of peace, that glue. So he asks you to rest in him, to ask his help. He definitely will help you. See, if you want to know about a prayer request to ask the Lord that he will most probably say yes to, it's this. If you ask Jesus to help you to grow in this through his spirit, do you think he'll turn around and say, oh, no, sorry, not really? He will answer. So seek him. Ask him. Friends, this is what a humble community looks like. These are the markers of a humble community. Then, based on that, Paul continues in verses 4 to 6 to consider what does a humble community actually build around? What kind of things do they build around? What are the markers? They build around a united faith. In verses 4 to 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In many ways, what he's saying to this church, he's kind of laying before them, in some sense, seven key beliefs, seven doctrines, seven things that you rally around. This is what will unite your faith. 
But Ephesus, church of, uh, in Ephesus, you are one body. Neither are you Jew or Gentile. You're one body united. The one who unites you together, the bond, the one who glues it together is the Holy Spirit. He's the same Holy Spirit that lives in, in you individually, but also he's the one that unites you as a family. We're talking about baptism as this picture as an outward reality. What's happened to them is to say, hey, my life now belongs to Jesus. Not just a personal thing is to say, no, I belong to this community. And this is all possible through the one who is the one God, the true God, the one who is the heavenly Father. And Paul is saying, hey, you worship this one God, the heavenly Father, who is over everything, through all and in all. Because he is the one you build your foundation on. He's the one who unites this all together. When we talk about unity and uniting around, um, particularly in our day and age, there's a few challenges with that. A few months ago, uh, we got a letter from an organization in part of the area. They wanted to invite myself to a, uh, a gathering, um, and the gathering had ministers from different places. Uh, some of these ministers or priests included the, uh, the guys from the Hindu temple just up the road, uh, a Muslim, I guess I was the Christian guy, and uh, they invited us. Now, on one hand, I'm thinking, oh, cool, I'll get to go and pray, and, and they had a prayer time. God, in his grace, said to me, this is not what you can unite around. Because they're not praying to the same God. They're not praying to the same God. So when we talk about unity, this is not sort of, let's just get along and sing Kumbaya. No, this is a reminder that we're united around key truths. Key truths is what unites us. And in some sense, they're actually quite exclusive as well. It's to say that these beliefs that are in front of us is what unites us together. I don't know if you guys have been following the Commonwealth Games. I've been enjoying some of them. And recently, I saw a newspaper article about an event that happened. It's up here on the screen. You'll see three uh, runners. I don't know if you saw this on the screen. They were running the 10,000 meters. I did not watch it because apparently it goes for a long time. But there was a lady by their name of Linio Chaka. She was representing the South African nation of Lesotho. She was last. She was going to finish last. And as she's finishing, the crowd are yelling and urging her on. And then there was also Solhorn, Hills and Wellings, three Australian athletes who had crossed before her. They stood and waited for her to finish the race, clapping and encouraging her as she could go. So they interviewed Solhorn and asked, why did you do that? And this is what she said. She said, for Solhorn, we have produced a spirited display to finish sixth and her personal best, but to show the support of Chaka was simply what she and her teammates had wanted to do. We're there for each other. We're out here having a go. There is, in this moment in sporting history, you've got people from diverse backgrounds and trainings and so on, but they're in this together. It's a beautiful picture, I think. Because church, if you look around, we have people from all different backgrounds, all stages of life, but we are united as one. 
One of the great joys I hear when we have guest speakers come is when they talk about the diversity of different age groups and stages of life in our church. But see, when we are one, we're not just one for the sake of one, we are one united around these key beliefs that we are a body united by the Holy Spirit, that we are a community that are called to this wonderful one hope that has been displayed in Christ, that we as a people worship the one and only true God who has made us his people, who has connected us as one faith, the one who died for us and raised, was raised again on the third day, now calls us to die and to live in community as one. This is what it means to be a one community. Because this is our God, our one and only true God. Not only is he a God who's some sort of far distant God, he's not that, he's our Father. This is beautiful news for us. And church, when we look at this, this is actually countercultural to the way that you and I are wired, particularly in our Western context. And that happens even in our Christian culture. Our temptation is to think me, myself, and I. These words are a reminder to us, this is not an option in the Christian life. This is not an option in the Christian life. That if we belong to Jesus, if all the things that we've been unpacking over the last few chapters are true, that means we are one united. And do you know the best place to begin to consider how we can grow in this? We look to our wonderful Savior. See, our Savior, was he not the one who has made us worthy because of the death on the cross? Is he not the one who was humble, and we talked about it even this morning, to willing to wash the dirty feet of his disciples? Is he not the one who is gentle? Is he not the one who is patient with you and I every day? Is he not the one who continues to bear with us in love? And is he not the one who has united us? Because he is the one who actually talked about this, and this was read to us earlier in the Gospel of John. When John uh, records for us in John 17, where Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Did you know that when we, as a community of believers, are committed to this unity around the truths that we just unpacked, we're displaying to a divided world Christ. We are displaying to a divided world our wonderful Savior, who has made us one with him. And this is the answer to his prayer. He's praying and he's praying for churches around to be united as one, even us as a community of believers. Friends, when we gaze at our Savior, 
It's a wonderful reminder to you and I. We can actually ask His Spirit to enable us to live this out. Because He will truly help us. In some sense, He's the super glue that bonds us together as one. So church, if you call Canterbury Gardens Community Church home, with all your different personalities and backgrounds and ideas and all these things which are wonderful, but remember, we're not me, I, or myself, but we are we, a family, a community. As we look to our wonderful Savior, as we look at these trades that are in front of us, a challenge to say this is the kind of community we want to keep on growing to be, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So this morning, is there things that God has been revealing to you? Is there areas that you need to ask His forgiveness and restoration in? Are there conversations or things you've had now or in the past that have not encouraged unity? Turn to the one who has united you with Him. So this morning, I want us to pause for a moment. I want to give you a few minutes to be praying in silence and ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's anything going on that you need to confess and ask His forgiveness for. Is there things happening that only the Lord knows? Pray to Him and seek Him. Be restored by Him. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to ask us to affirm something together as a church family. But before we do that, why don't we just pause for a few minutes and pray and ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to reveal Is there anything that you need to confess? Is there people that you need to restore with here in this church family? Let you do some business with the Lord just now. Go ahead and do that now in silence. Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm sure we could spend some more time in prayer and I pray that for those of us who need to keep doing that, you would help us. Lord, I pray and I thank you that you desire for us to be one body. We pray that you would change us, help us to be a humble community, walking in gentleness and being patient with one another, doing it in love and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Holy Spirit, please help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm going to read something from Ephesians. And I guess in this moment, as I make this statement, all I'm asking for you to do is say, we do. And please do this because you genuinely mean it. Don't do this because everyone else is doing it. Do this because it's in your heart. So here we go. Just respond with we do if you, if you believe this. Can we go to community church? Do we believe there is one body and one spirit? Canterbury Gardens Community Church, do we believe we were called to one hope? Canterbury Gardens Community Church, do we believe in the one Lord, in the one faith, in the one baptism? Canterbury Gardens Community Church, do we believe in the one God, the Father of all? Amen. I'm going to invite the music team to come and sing.
this last song I've asked um, for us to sing together. Uh, it's a song that's called the Creed. It's um, based on what's known as the Apostles' Creed. They used to say these things as a way of saying that they're united as one. The words of the song has kind of an individual perspective. I've asked the guys to change the words to rather than say I, to actually say we. So as we sing, let's sing this together as a church family, as one, as a community. Thanks, guys. <laughs>